Hey, this is Captain Lee, and you're listening to the Andertons Podcast. Hey guys, uh, this is a treat. Uh, I am backstage uh, before Slipknot's gig at the O2 in London with Mick Thompson here. Um, thank you very much for joining us. No problem. Um, and we are going to go, we're going to spend some time in here just chatting about life in Slipknot and what uh, the band's been up to and what you're doing guitar-wise. And then we're going to go and check out behind the stage, uh, look at some of Mick's guitars and amps as well with his tech. So uh, Slipknot now, y- y- we're over 20 years into this uh, crazy journey. 25. 25 years. That's Since insane. we started. Yeah. So uh, we talked a little bit before we started rolling about just how the whole process has changed and stuff like that. But what are, what are the big differences you know, in doing a tour like this now compared to the first you know, couple of tours that the band did? I mean, the first couple of tours, it's like, I don't know, you're struggling for anything. <laughs> Food, <laughs> sleep, you know, like... It's just really rough when you're starting out, especially with a lot of people. You know, it's like uh, like you only get so much money, and it has to you know find its way to taking care of bills, and you don't eat well, and you don't, you don't have your own hotel room, and uh, you know you're sharing a shower that gets all pubed up and stuff. Before nice. You're in there. It's it's always it's always something like. But it's so <laughs> life's a lot cushier. Uh, there's not the struggle, but I mean, it's the struggle's not forgotten. You know, right. it's like. Uh, I mean, we still do what we do with passion and, you know, so it's still there. It's just not as uncomfortable the rest of the day. I can imagine. How soon was it when the band started that you'd have been, you know, you'd have been playing to audience sizes like this? Because what are we talking, 20, 25,000 people coming to see you tonight? I mean, festivals, you know, like if we did, uh, well, our first thing we ever did was OzFest in 99. So, I mean, we were the second stage, you know, whatever, and we rotated so we didn't play in the same spot every day, but... I don't know what the biggest crowd there would have been, but we're in a fucking parking lot. But I mean, I know that <laughs> overall the amount of people in there was was pretty huge. I mean, it was, well, I don't know if that was Sabbath's original final tour or what, but it was, I mean, having Sabbath there was fucking huge. So. Festivals must be. Festivals are weird though because it's not for you. You know, it's for everybody. So when you're pulling out with your yeah. own show, then that's when it really starts to feel like, holy shit, like look what we've done. Because, you know, it's, there's two bands playing tonight. Yeah, you know, and not forty-three on three stages. So was that what was the draw then for for Knotfest? Was it to there must be something that you love about the camaraderie of a festival, seeing all these other cool bands. It's, I, I think it's great for the fans and it's great for bands. Yeah, you know, we can put a lot of different bands that we would love to have on tour with us on something like that, where normally we couldn't just take out whoever. It's like fucking, you know, get on the show, get out there, and, you know, fucking. It's a lot of times trying to get recognition for some great bands that have, uh, you know just never got that much publicly. So it's, uh, I'm always really happy when we get some you know, more underground stuff and death metal stuff that we can get on there that you know, like I would love to expose a wider audience to because yeah. it's like, I know from teaching guitar, I, I turned a lot of kids onto death metal shit. They'd never heard it. Yeah. You know, I play some stuff for them, let them take a tape home or something. They're like, holy shit, this is brutal. I'm like, <laughs> of course it is. I wouldn't have given it to you if it wasn't. So it's, uh, I don't know. I, I love to try to do anything I can to fucking to get exposure for bands we love. Yeah. And uh, so that helps. I, I you know, read a, we, we get to put some cool bands on. I, I read an article of yours the other day just talking about your 10, I don't, know if it was, I don't think it was your 10 favorite albums, it was probably the 10 albums that you know influenced you most as a guitar player. And there's nothing really death metal in there. 
is that just because, in fact, there's nothing even, I was quite surprised at some of the, you know, just how mainstream some of the music was. So where, where, where well, for like you what, was that? Though? Well, you had a lot of Kiss records in there and, um, was there, a, there was an Electric Six album in there as well, which I just thought. I mean, obviously, what a great we were band, we were just, we were deep in our career by the time I heard them. Yeah, they're that, fucking awesome. They they are. Yeah, no, they're fucking absolutely awesome. awesome. Yeah, completely. But, but Kiss was seemed to be a pretty big influence, and you know. No, well, not. I mean, I loved them when I was a kid. Yeah. They weren't an influence. Like I don't sound like they sound. <laughs> it was the <laughs> same thing. With like, I mean, Hendrix is the whole reason I started playing the guitar. Fun. I mean, he was he was a major, major, major motivator. I loved. I, my dad had one of the most amazing guitar record collections. Yeah. For a non-player, like the shit that I was exposed to as a little kid. I mean, being just a toddler and shit. I'm hearing. So I was always. I grew up hearing Johnny Winter and Clapton and fucking Jeff Beck and yeah. fucking Hendrix and fucking you know Cream and like all this great shit. And so it was like, it was hard not to love the electric guitar. Yeah. So, I mean, I was just enamored with it. Like, even as just like, you know, preschool, I'm like, wow, you know. And then so eventually, by the time I was 10, I was able to get a paper route and save some money and get my first guitar. But, I mean, I wanted one from way before that. But it was like, there was that incredible, like, era of late 60s to mid to late 70s. I mean, it was like Return to Forever, Aldi Miola stuff. I mean, my dad, all that kind of stuff. So for a non-guitar player to have Demiol in his collections, kind of, you know, yeah. not that common. But it was, so I got to hear some of the greatest guitar players of the, that entire span, and how would you not be inspired? You know, it was like Jesus Christ, these guys are gods. I'd love to do a fucking thousandth of what they're, you know. And so it was something to. It's it's motivational. So I would say like. A lot of times it's like, what are your influences means what do you rip off and you know, <laughs> what do you what do you dick eat and try to fucking pass off as your own. I can hear anything. I mean, I could hear it. You can play some classical stuff. You play what it's, it just puts you in a place where like, wow, that's amazing. I want to play. And what do you do? Really fast gallops and palm mutes and, you know. But it's like it's, it's an inspiration for you to then do what you do. Yeah. You know. So a lot of times I think it gets misequated with, you know, like what... What vein do you, like, what are you about to pigeonhole yourself by yeah. saying? But there's so much great music out there. But that, I think that's the. Like, I, I would hope that it would just want you, it would fire you up and make you want to do something, but then that thing that you do should reflect you yeah. and not it just sounds imitation. Like, it sounds you know like our I mean? fathers had pretty much identical record collections. We're about the same age as well. So I'm guessing, you know, grew up listening to, to similar stuff. And yet, you know, your path as a guitar player took a very different one to mine. Um, a much more successful one, I should say, as well. But what's the, um, you know, I think I probably stayed uh, closer to, to listening to Hendrix and Clapton and stuff, and that's kind of what inspired me to play. So what what is it with your, you know, the direction that the band's gone? Was it just guys that you met when you went to college? Is, is it the guys that you met in the band? It, did something spark and musically it just took a very different direction. Well, I mean, I was in a band with Paul before Slipknot existed. We were in a technical death metal band. Mm -hmm. So I got in towards the end of that and then we lost the drummer and never really got another drummer and so we tried. Wrote a couple songs with drum machines and shit, but we could never make it, never find a drummer and make that work um, in Des Moines. Right. You know, and try to find a really technical death metal player in 94. Yeah, <laughs> it was just well, there wasn't many of them. So, um, so Slipknot happened while we were kind of just on, you know, trying to figure out what we were going to do. So, I mean, I always brought more of a death metal kind of you know aspect into the band, 
Um, you know, Paul and Joey love death stuff too, but I mean, that was, that's always been kind of where I, like by junior high, I mean, I was, I, I mean, Hendrix, okay, so huge inspiration, yeah. yada, yada. But then I got into like thrash and speed metal, you know, Flotsam, Testament, you know, Anthrax, Megadeth, Metallica, obviously, yeah. um, you know, Exodus. Um, and love that kind of fucking, you know, thrash and speed metal playing. Then I got uh, exposed to some death metal, and uh, it was like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> like this is like everything I love about thrash and whatever, but faster and meaner. So I'm like, sign me up. I can. If it's faster your, and meaner than I'm. In I'm your awful. face, I can literally, I can see you going back to that <laughs> moment. Yeah, no, as I remember, amazing. fucking yeah, no, I remember. Because I mean, Slayer was sort of a crossover, almost like yeah. death metal. I mean, a lot of black metal, a lot of death metal stuff, sort of came from there. More faster, frantic kind of, kind of thing. Um, but then really expanded on that. You know, so I mean, you got like Deicide. Deicide's always been very Slayer-ish, right. but just to a fucking extreme. It's like, <laughs> you know, if you like Slayer, you should love Deicide. You know? And uh, but there's a lot of bands like that. But then the, all this huge. I mean, there's lots of jazzy playing and stuff. I mean, there's some really, really seriously trained players playing fucking death metal. You know, so a lot of people just think it's a lot of fucking <laughs> at all times. But I'm like, man, some of the fucking players are fucking insane. Oh, yeah. And uh, so that was then a huge inspiration. So, um, you know, then I started playing, you know, faster. And it's always like playing fast anyway because it's fun. It's like a challenge yourself. Like, right. How fast can I play this? You know, and then so when death metal's more along that speed anyway, like, oh, it just naturally sits right here. Perfect. <laughs> Well, look, so, I'm very you know, conscious. We, we go on for yes, years about I'm it. slightly conscious of the fact that we have Jackson to thank for, for getting us in here. Um, and so we really should talk about uh, your relationship with Jackson and Mick Shannon. Um, and uh, we're going to go and look at some of your guitars in a minute. But this is one that we've got with us, which is the uh, Pro Series. So you know, one of the more affordable ones. Give us the rundown of that. Uh, I think you guys will see as this video evolves. Uh, uh, Mick is a crazy enthusiastic guitar um, dork. Dork, that's the word sure. I was looking for. Sure. Yeah, that works. Um, but you know, like just—it's not just about the playing, is it? It's the—it's—it's it's what is it? All the ingredients that go everything together. adds up yeah. to what it eventually sounds yeah. like, and yeah. also it, it adds up to how, like how can you play? Yeah, you know, like um, we were talking about. One of the was like, I don't like a, a big clunky neck. It, yeah. To me, it feels slow. Um, they sound good. They track really well. Like on a, on a record, a fat neck will sound nice, but it just it fights you playing it. It's like <clears throat> if you want to play fast, you need less hindrance. Yeah. Right. So I like a little bit thinner neck. I like a wide, fairly flat, yeah. you know, radius on my fingerboard. This is a compound radius, but it's still fairly flat. Um, you know, and so you're shredding and what I like. It just to me, it just it facilitates the shit. Part of it could be like what I grew up playing. Like yeah. a lot of wide flat necks of you know the shredder era and stuff like that is just what always kind of felt like home to me. Yeah. This isn't like that kind of wizardy thing. Um, this actually my my neck was taken off of like a was it a fucking eighty seven eighty eight Randy Rhodes, cool USA. They did like this special neck for like two years. It was much thinner, right? And uh, so that's what I had it copied after. Um, was I played one and I fell in love with it. And then, like none of the other necks felt like that. I'm like, well, what the hell is the difference? So they said, oh, is this the certain year of the neck? So it just feels like home to me. It's also what I had on my original. I back in '92, '93, I ordered a custom Jackson. 
I got like a three-year loan and ordered a custom Jackson. <laughs> I'm sure I still owe the company some money for that loan, too, because I was like 19. So don't give a 19-year-old kid that much money. Anyway, um, so I ordered the, the guitar all custom, and I got that neck on it. So that was what when I went to Jackson, I wanted that recreated. So I sent the guitar back to them, and they got all the measurements and stuff. And this is incredibly close. Um, this is basically the same profile, outside of a slight flatness that I have in mind that are hand-done. But it's it's the same kind of thickness, yeah. so it, it's it's very fast, very playable. Immediately, like just feels good, yeah. you know. Already feels worn in, and like as much as you can wear a neck in. I don't know what's weird. New guitars sometimes feel like they they don't play right, yeah. and after a while they just do. To me, this feels broken in, and it's where it needs to be right off the bat. Also, that I'm not doing the mega huge frets. Yeah. I did for a long time, except it's more like you're playing kind of a scallop thing, where you especially like if you don't use high string uh, tightness, like I I drop tunes so I use fatter strings, yeah. but if you have just a set of nines tuned to E to this or something, with a super high fret so you can kind of push, yeah. know, push things sharp. So I dropped them down a little bit for this, as opposed to older guitars I've had. Yeah. Just a little more comfortable right out of the box. Um, and then my bridge. This is fascinating. So this is, this is a custom bridge that uh, Jackson did for me that is actually, it's, it's basically like your standard Floyd-style tremolo, except it's not a tremolo <laughs> at all. It is simply a plate. So the routing is as deep as that is. I yeah. think you'll get a detail yeah. uh, on stage here in a little bit. It's routed maybe a quarter of an inch, so you're not really losing any wood, hardly. Yeah. It's on the surface and there's a neck through. So the energy transfer here with the way this thing bolts down is just awesome. It's, I mean, it's every bit as loud and, and sustaining yeah. as any tunematic or anything could be. And it is weird because it's, is it good? Does it feel natural for palm muting as well? And just. Well, and that's, that's absolutely, it does. And that's what I like is the height is yeah. basically standard recessed Floyd. Um, you know, you got the neck set of the body is the same kind of thing. You know, it's not too flat, yeah. but it also doesn't stick up. To, it's just enough as yeah. far as I'm concerned. So, and it's like I've got a lifetime of. The feel of Floyd's, yeah. you know, and I, I love that feel. Like you can, you can really affect your mute a lot, and you know, yeah, it's just it's something I've been used to. Um, as always, one volume knob, no tone because a tone runs signal to ground and wastes your signal, and you're gonna have it turned all the way up anyway. So fuck the thing, just get it off my guitar. Yeah, I've always used a three-way Tele style switch because I don't like the chance of a like a Gibsony kind of thing to snap back in the middle yeah. or whatever. Very positive. And that's all you need. The volume's out of the way, but on stage you can hit it without a fucking... You don't have to fight for it, but you're never going to bump it. Yeah. Same thing with switch. You'd have to be really weird to... Uh, I don't know. You got some fucked up picking if you're flipping that switch. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, I've, I've always loved this style bridge. And so after, I don't know, it was a few months of uh, R&D and whatever, Jackson made that for me, and uh, I couldn't be happier. The sustain is absolutely crazy out of it. It just anchors it into the body. It says none of the wood's cut out. And then I don't know that a lockdown at the nut gives you more sustain. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. To me, I don't know. It's there. I've got, I've, I, I, I don't know. It at least adds to the mass. And I mean, and everything, everything affects the yeah. sound of the guitar. So it's just something I've always liked. I had a great chance to meet. Steve Vyer two or three years ago and I was really surprised in that interview how much uh, technologically he developed the gem you know how many you, you see the mm -hmm. gem and you just sort of think it's I don't know it's just like the crazy colors I think almost become 
that's all you think it really mm-hmm. is. But he's, you know, there's so much more to it than that. And I, I feel like you don't get enough credit, I don't think, for um, what's gone into your guitar. You know, I mean, it, it's well, it, it's very, very specific because uh, I'm very specific. Yeah, you know but what that's, I mean? like so after... many artists just say, "Well, yeah, I use this anyway, so make it my crazy color and maybe use my pickups, and that'll be yeah. my signature." Well, no, I mean, Yours that's what is... I've said. That's what I've said is, I'm like, if I have anything out there, be it my pickups, my guitar, a speaker, mm. my amp, like it's very specific for a purpose. It's not a coat of paint. Like I'm heavily involved in mm. dialing and tweaking and, and the fucking with the gear. Um, Tell us about the pickups then, because you got these um, Seymour Duncan active pickups. Yeah. Where was that? Was that from a long, long line of using EMG, but just wanting to, you know, enjoying that vibe, but wanting to? Well, well it was. Um, I used 81 and an 89 or an 85 or a 60 or an H. Like I rotated mm-hmm. depending on, you know what? And I always loved them. Um, and the first uh, three records mm-hmm. are EMG 81s. Um, but they're not as musical. They're a little more compressed, and it's when you start venturing out and playing different passives. Most passives won't handle the low end without being boomy. Like, I want a really tight and percussive, but still fat. So you almost have to have an active mm. to be able to kind of get the best of those worlds. So Seymour came out with their Blackout, and I played the original Blackout, and the way they had approached it was it was a much more natural-sounding um, active. And I... I Thought it was. There were some things about it that didn't click with me. They didn't work with my playing and what I wanted. Basically, the bottom end was too fat and round and bulbous, and I couldn't. Yeah. Like, I don't like if I pick really fast and really tight. I want it to be responsive and hit. You know, I don't want it to and wash out and bloom. I want it to go. You know, I want it to crack your ribs and not like shake your fillings loose. You know, it's like it's the difference between I don't know machine gun fire and sitting at a stoplight with someone's bass turned up on their. <laughs> and they're, you know what I mean? Like, that was kind of the difference. I wanted to tune that out. Now, that's great for some players and whatever, but for me, it just didn't work. So, Seymour made, uh, I think it was like four or five different versions, at least four, um, that I played on tour over the period of a couple of years. And we decided on the other one, but it was all made for the guitar, which is a, you know, maple neck through uh, in various forms, I do them differently depending on what the guitar is. I'll change yeah. the woods around, but it's always Eastern Hard Rock Maple is the gist of it, and always mahogany, um, always ebony uh, on my customs. That's a great guitar. And it's just, I mean, with that wood recipe, then you can kind of get, you yeah. know, they're all going to sound different because every tree is different and every guitar. You can have 10 of the, these and they're all going to have yeah. different qualities. It's just the way the fucking trees are. So, but these really do add like, it's not, I've heard people say that an active pickup only sounds like the active pickup and you can put it in anything and it doesn't matter. They're absolutely fucking wrong. Right. It does not. Every guitar I have sounds different and they all have my pickups in it. Yeah. I, I've probably been guilty of saying that. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you could, you could say that when things are really compressed and if yeah. you've heard a guitar in a studio and then there's all this extra compression. Yeah. Like, but if you're sitting EMG, there playing it. That was, that was an EMG observation, I think, that was just, the, it, it did seem to take some of those sort of idiosyncrasies of each individual guitar away and almost give you a no, consistent... No, it, it, it does. It does, but not entirely. Like, you're still going to feel and, and play a difference, yeah. you know, like with each guitar. Even with that, but that's why I said is I, that's why I love the Blackout was it was more open, mm-hmm. had more of a, like a passive kind of vibe to it, but all of the attributes that I really need for tight metal playing come with an active pickup. Yeah. It's just one of those things. So, uh, so yeah, so we went active and just tweaked it for uh, for my setup, it's 
you know, I mean, it fits my guitar woods. It also works with my amp. And it's not to say that it, it only works with my amp. I mean, I've changed amps now. This would be the third amp that I've uh, recorded and toured with. I was using my Rivera's. Then the last record cycle, I used uh, the Petrucci boogies. Which Rivera's did you have? I, I would my own never have put that as a brand that would appeal to Stop you. Stop the camera for a second. <laughs> I have my own signature model Rivera really? knucklehead, a KR7, knucklehead reverb 7. I've heard of the knucklehead, I just didn't realize that was your signature. I, have a, I had a KR7 from 2004 till and yet Paul a couple Re years ago. I always thought Paul Rivera was all about making kind of tweaked up old Fender. Well, yes. Oh, no, I mean, he made the fucking the classic Fender that was on Beat It and yeah, shit. Yeah. And all. Like, he, was, and he took over Fender, their amp division in the late 70s and got them back to being awesome and shit. I never, I never had that brand down as like a, a real kind of high-game brand. That was, it was, uh, volume, no, Volume 3 was still my VHT. Right. And then uh, All Hope is Gone and uh, what, our last record were both the Revere Knucklehead KR7s. And what did you say you went to after that? Before and well, our last record I tracked with my knucklehead reverb, right? <clears throat> you know, KR7, and uh, but then live I switched to the JP2C the Petrucci, Petrucci. Yeah, yeah, those yeah. Mark yeah. 2C pluses mm -hmm. just sound fucking godly. Um, and they sound killer, but I just it didn't sit with a band as well. I mean, right. I get a like when I get that thing scooped out, yeah. it sounds so good and amazing, but it didn't really sit in a mix as well. And it, it sounded great live, yeah. But there were some things that I wanted to do different with it. And then I, I knew Mike at Omega, so yeah. I started working with him, you know, and playing some of his early versions of his amps and stuff. And then that just fucking... John Petrucci's another complete gearhead, isn't he? We had a similar interview. He came to us and, again, like, talked. And it was... I can't remember how long the... Ca I think the batteries ran out on the camera. It was just one of those ones. It was just like, man. But, again, it, it's... I love it when you know, guys that have made a real success of their musical career are still disinterested in the gear because you must have people running around giving you shit all the time, kind of go, please use this, please use this. And it would be easy to just sort of go, you know, take less of an interest. But Well, I don't know. When it's it, when you're given the fucking keys to the fucking, you know, like, <laughs> you mean I can go in and I can actually fucking slice and dice every little tiny thing I want to be exactly that spec? Like, you know, borrowed from Steve Vai. Thanks, Steve. Uh, I had it when I was alive, but it's, you know, just my my output jack. Yeah, you know, it just it fits. It just works. It's it's just a solution, and that's what I look for. Is, is uh, that's where that's solutions. That's you know, what I mean, going to, back to the like to to make so, how do you make yeah. something perfect? Well, that's when there's no one thing for all people, obviously. And this is not just a metal guitar. You know what I mean? Like it's it shouldn't just be like approached like it's you know uh, it's, it does metal and that's it. Yeah. You know, I mean, the neck pickup alone. I mean, I love those old neck bubbly sounding fucking solos like done on neck pickups from like the early 90s and shit. I never do them myself anymore, but it's nice to have. It does great clean tones. You know, I mean, it's, so it's it's built to be a player. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's made to, to play. You know, if you're used to fighting a neck and fighting your guitar, try something different. Well, that's, it's, that's it's, a, been, it's a hindrance, I, you know, I, especially if you want to pick yeah. up your speed. Like, the more economy of motion you can have, the more precise things can be, like the faster and cleaner you can play something without fighting your equipment, you know? It's very cool, man. It's so, that, that's, that for me, this whole meeting you and talking through the guitar, I'm gonna see this guitar in a different light now in the same way that I, you know, I don't see the gem as just a guitar that a Steve Vai fanboy yeah, it's, it's not a Strat that got some material no, ground a, off it to be pointy. If, there's if, a lot of yeah, stuff. He's really there's, yeah, there's a lot through. of stuff that's in and there. I, and I think, 
I've, I'm going to look at this guitar in a, in a different light now. It's it, to me now. It's just a very cleverly thought would, out guitar. I would really like you to uh, fucking when you know, obviously you can delete this. <laughs> no, when you when you got some time, seriously, play around with it and hear like to. to sustain it. And this is it's not in tune, yeah. anymore, but no, I want to. Coming from Indonesia, this thing you can fucking play this and be like, boom, like there you go, like you. You wouldn't go. Oh, that's a signature model that was made in whatever. That's yeah. you know, street prices under a thousand. You wouldn't know it because these are my actual pickups. These are yeah, my yeah. fucking handmade in Santa Barbara, California pickups. This isn't like a cheap knockoff to go in the thing that has the same kind. Of, like this is the actual fucking pickup that I use. Yeah. It's on every record since we've developed them. It's a you know, I mean, so it's it's the same pickup. It's the same sound. It's the same woods, you know. Wow. So and it plays. So very close, especially with a setup. I mean, this is just from the factory. But you get in with a setup and you can tweak it. I mean, you like your, I like my action really low without making any noise. Yeah. I raise it slightly on stage because I hit kind of hard with adrenaline going. But man, at home, these next, even the imports, they set up so low and perfect and with the additional reinforcement in them in the neck. I mean, you, know, you can get really, really low. And, uh, and you don't have any problems fretting things out. And with the, with the, uh, you know, radius of the fingerboard, you know, flattening out as you go up too, as you can drop that action and you can get bends, you know, sing and they don't smack the fret in front of them, but you got a little bit more curve here for playing chords. You know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's like a perfect solution to everything as far as I'm concerned. Okay, so we are now in the bowels uh, behind the stage of uh, the Slipknot stage. I'm with Mike. Mike is Mix Tech. Um, and I'm loving the fact that pretty much everyone I've met so far is either called Mike or Mick, so I'll, tr I'll try not to get them confused. But as well as being uh, Mick's tech, mm -hmm. uh, you're also an amp maker yourself Correct. as well. And Correct. for this tour, um, Mick is using your amp, so I guess... Yeah. We might as well start there and, and take a look at uh, the Omega line. Absolutely. Uh, this is the Omega Ampworks, the Obsidian. Um, Mix is actually kind of crucial in uh, development of this amp early on, getting it back and forth to him and uh, just him just checking it out because uh, we are a little bit new to the amp game. And, uh, yeah, he's running both obs uh, the Obsidians just one at a time. Uh, one on the bottom is a backup. Right. Um, and it's a f it looks like a complicated rig, but it's actually fairly simple. Um, so the amplifier is a two-and-a-half channel. It's a clean, a crunch, and a lead. Yep. Crunch and a lead share the same EQ. Um, full MIDI controlled and what was, your, what was your background in amps then before you started making your own so uh, I actually went to school for industrial design engineering uh, and I started studying acoustics uh, back in 2010 we actually started the company in 2010 is right. basically just kind of a hobby building speaker cabinets because that's where we felt the most benefit could be uh, had from sure. further development uh, and a couple of years later, we started uh, developing amplifiers, and it's uh, myself and another gentleman named Eric Hockenberry, who has a uh, much longer background in amplifiers than I do, but yeah, together we kind of uh, started the line. So so the rig is simple. There's no sense of any kind of, you know, wet-dry style rig. It's nope. just one amplifier. Obviously, there's some, some <laughs> pedals and some outboard yes. here, which I'm, you know, I would expect. Um, are you you're doing all the patch changes correct here, are you? yeah we're using the uh, rjm mastermind gt22 yes. and i'm handling all of the patch changes whether it be the actual uh patch changing multiple pedals or multiple effects yeah or just hitting a pedal 
So it's uh, it makes life I've, I've very always, easy. I've always felt that that's kind of there must be quite a lot of pressure on you as a tech to you know where, where you know so so has. Uh, Mick got any th- pedals on stage? Uh, no. So you, so you've got to do everything. You've got to know exactly when in each song, you've got to have the right. Correct. Not done via MIDI or as in it's not you know yes. pre-programmed via MIDI. No, or no, they don't play to a <laughs> click track. So it's basically it's all on us techs. So all the guys do it, and it well, uh, at first it was a little nerve-wracking, but. Well, let's have a look. Does it? I mean, yeah. this does. I've been backstage once or twice, mm-hmm. and I've seen guitar players with like ten shelves of pedals. So this doesn't look <laughs> kind of. Although there are some amazing stuff here that you wouldn't... My God, I haven't seen a GX700 by Boss since I was about 20, you know, yeah. which for and people will know it's a long time ago. This is actually how <laughs> Mick gets the sounds from the first album from some of the crazy effects oh, that he has. I see. It's the only thing. We've tried different things. These are the only thing that do it. Man, that's so cool. So you've got that some sort of stereo, or is that just a backup? Uh, it's and just a, a and backup, a, yeah. I see. It's a fairly simple setup. So we're using the Shure Axiom Wireless, which yeah. is absolutely incredible. Of course, the industry standard, the Peterson uh, Strobo yeah. Rack. The Radio JX44 is just a distribution center, so we have okay. both amplifiers and we have the yeah. uh, all the wireless packs. Uh, the Two Notes Torpedo Live is essentially another form of sound out front yeah. because we do use a 4x12 inside of an iso you've got an isolated 412 absolutely oh, man. and honestly it plays as a backup when uh myself and uh alex the bass player were designing the rigs that's um, so cool this plays as a backup in case one of the speakers blows we uh, have this i'm just gonna say hello to aid <laughs> what are the chances <laughs> um so pedals yes uh do you know what? There are some cool pedals here as well. The plasma pedal is such a great fuzz. It is an amazing pedal. And you're using, that's this noise reduction, isn't it? I think, Correct. From the yeah, Zool. the Zool is a, the, um, the, uh, But I'm less familiar with, I'm less familiar with, so using a bass sort so of fuzz pedal then for guitar. Well, the bass balls is actually an envelope filter. Oh, okay. So it's uh, used for one of the songs uh, and it kind of gives a little bit of a, a little bit of a wah sound. And, a, and the other one's a Seymour Duncan pedal. And this is uh, new to it, the uh, Earthquaker yep. Devices Plumes pedal, which is probably, that's one of my favorite overdrives in the market right now. So you're getting really like 95% of the drive from the amplifier and just using these Correct. to kind of just uh, the plumes, it up a bit. Yeah, the plumes comes on uh, in solos and different trill parts, yep. but his main rhythm tone is just straight into the amp. Let's have a look underneath here. Yeah. And um, we've got, uh, actually, you know, I thought that was some little TC reverb pedal. No, this is a this is a gentleman that's on, the, he sells on reverb. Right. Uh, it's Dead Effects. That is one of the gnarliest sounding fuzz pedals that I've heard. And he makes incredible stuff. It is just a little monster. Um, then we have, this is a newer company, Nanolog. They actually use uh, different types of diodes. They use carbon for the diodes. I won't go into all the nerdy stuff with it. Uh, sound cool though the Wampler Tumnus is another form of uh, overdrive yeah Yeah. and uh, everything is powered by these Chuck's power supplies which are absolutely yeah they are absolutely amazing they're actually powering a lot of the other stuff as well oh cool so and then so I guess he I'm assuming he obviously does have a wire on stage correct yeah he has (laughs) he has one wire on either side of the stage we run a nice long uh, loom out there and that's pretty much it well, this is awesome. Thank you very much for taking us through that. Absolutely. Good luck with your amps. I may even uh, contact you about uh, retailing them. Who knows? That would be amazing. <laughs> so this is the isolation uh, box with the 412 in it. Correct. Um, uh, yeah, this incredible. is uh, 
this is the actual cab that Mick recorded the new album with, and it is loaded uh, with uh, two of his new signature speakers that are uh, released by Eminence. Oh, cool. Uh, they'll be out next month, and, and two of our OEM speakers as well. And uh, we're using a Biodynamics yeah. M160 and a uh, uh, 4050 microphone. And, uh, yeah, That's phenomenal great. sound. And, I mean, I guess the, the, the isolation box just does something that as clever as all that kind of two-note stuff gets, there's still something Analog, isn't there, about just, just miking up an enclosed... Yeah, it's, it's really the push-pull nature. It's the feel of it in your yeah. hands. It's always going to sound a little bit different. As good, like you said, yeah. as good as the digital is getting. Yeah, is that and is that on stage? Is is Mick basically just getting this into his fold back or in here? Yeah, uh, he doesn't wear ears. That's doesn't, all right. just coming through the monitors and the side fills. Wow, I love it. Super old school. Anyway, let's go take a look at Mick's guitars. So, uh, we're here with your guitars uh, backstage. There's less than I thought there would be. Do you, you know, are you keeping things pretty simple in terms of using the same guitar for as many songs as possible? Well, exactly. I run, I basically run the same setup every night. I start with my carbon. It's kind of the easiest thing to see in here. That's but great. All real carbon. Um, yeah, you've got the torch, haven't you? This is the way to go. Yeah. I should have bought one. It's, uh, Look at that. And that's, so that's, so where it's black around the edges, that's just a finish. It's a completely yep. solid carbon fiber guitar. The, the, no, it's it's uh, it's my normal recipe of uh, Eastern Hard Rock maple. Right. Um, like three-piece laminated neck, you know, graphite reinforcement rods in it, in, in uh, mahogany sides. Right. But they did a solid carbon top. I see. So it's like they have to take it, they do the carbon, they have to like make a mold of the top. They layer it up with uh, epoxy resins. I mean, think of like a Formula One car, yep. same thing. Yep. It's the same basic thing. It's just a veneer over the top, but it's real carbon. And uh, It looks fantastic. I, yeah. bet it, I bet it catches the light as well in a cool way. Yeah, no, and that's what's really cool about it. Is it was like, I've always wanted to do a carbon guitar, but I mean, I heard, I had one previously with Ibanez, but it was, didn't turn out exactly like I wanted. Right. Um, but that's because it's tough. If you work with it like a material, like if you lay it over it and then try to hit it with a gloss, like that's not how it's supposed to go and the clear yeah. coat soaks into it. So it's, right. I mean, it was a hell of a process, but Mike Shannon got that made for me because it was funny. Mike Shannon uh, at Jackson, we talked about it one time backstage at a show, how I wanted carbon, whatever, but I've just never ordered it. Her as a pain in the ass. Never went any further than that. And then I get a phone call going, are you going to be home tomorrow? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And then he wouldn't say what. And I opened the case about shit myself. I'm like, fucking wonderfully realized uh, from our conversation. It's I love it. So I start pretty much every show on this tour with it. And then I switch to my green one. Oh, looks, so the next one in is green. This is the yep. one that you you were literally yeah, just it, saying. It's, 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 it's kind of blown out from the flashlight. It looks yeah. uh, like it changes the green with that kind of intensity. But, yep, so that's a dark metallic green. And then I go with my Stormtrooper, white and black, I end the show with. Right. So, you know, and then I've got my, my black one is for our A songs currently i mean yeah. i switch them around depending on yeah. what the tour is and shit but the interesting thing is like when we change songs in our set there's some songs that i've only ever played on the white guitar yeah so if you look at it because i have inlays i use on the sides i don't have like they fret markers they're great I, inlays yeah, yeah i had them inlay yeah blocks so you can see it on stage really easily i like the way it flips yeah as and well my, when my you newer go ones yeah my newer ones are actually done with a glow but right um that's the problem though is see the difference there if I go out <laughs> if I go out and play a song that I like all of our touring so far I played like a bunch of our new songs only on a dark neck and then I went out in rehearsal and tried to play it on that and you're looking down and it's like 
the opposite. You oh, know, shit, it's like that must be. Yeah, it's like it's like a photo <laughs> negative of it, and you look down, and you're like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> And I Leave was like, faith. no, Please immediately, right immediately I was like, okay, we're going to change guitars differently. Like we yeah. got to run this different because it's just, it's a head fuck when you actually look down. I love it. So. And your fans will be super pleased to know that one of the guitars that uh, in the rack is not one of the custom shop ones. It's just a regular production guitar. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, and I mean, I can go out on stage and play it and you wouldn't even know it. You I, lo- know? I love like that it's, about, it's, um, it's, you know, how good some of the production guitars exa- actually exactly. are. Exactly. For, for a long time, it seemed like. Uh, overseas produced guitars yeah. just weren't kind of holding up. Yeah. And in the last few years, not just Jackson, but I think lots of companies have really started yeah. to hit much better. I mean, think about the early Japanese stuff that was kind of brushed off, and now yeah. you know we pay tons to find <laughs> original stuff. And it's, you know, so it's they definitely made their stuff great, and uh, they're getting way better. Yeah. Tell, know, tell us about the, the Seymour Duncan relationship as well, because I, I'm loving the fact. That you're obviously such a massive gear nerd in the sense you like you just you you you're so into all the details. So it must have been cool to work with him to 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 make some pickups. Oh, absolutely. We had like four or five different revisions we tried, and we were doing it. Um, it was all hope is gone touring, right? And uh, so I had the time to tune it. So I'm getting input from front of house and from my monitor guy, and I'm obviously hearing what I hear, and then I can hear live the show back and. So it was, it was a great uh, chance to, you know, to pick the brains of, you know, front of house, go, what are you getting out of this? Like, oh, this one's a little dark, whatever. Okay, so we'll pass on it. Like, it needs to jump out of a mix and, you know, needs to fit a lot of criteria. But they're all done based around my same guitar recipe. So it's like ebony fingerboards. Uh, you know, I'll do my necks differently sometimes. Sometimes it's, um, I would do a, like a babinga three-piece yeah. with the Eastern Hard Rock Maple, um, Wenge. Like, I've just done a bunch of stuff trying different ones um but the body is always mahogany do you think in a do you think in another world or in a different life you'd have you'd have just been a guitar builder i would fucking love to be a guitar builder <laughs> i get that sense yeah when when my back won't work and my neck won't fucking turn again and uh, whatever maybe that's what i'll do well that would be cool i would love well i mean i kind of love what i do and i don't want to stop that anytime soon but yeah making guitars in the future jesus that'd be fucking that'd be a dream yeah. So here's here's what's great about this is it feels like a Floyd. It's nice yeah. and low, and you know so it feels comfortable like I'm used to playing on any kind of Floyd guitar. Even though for years and years and years anything I had with a Floyd I've stopped. I either would shim the sustain block with yeah. wood that I would tap in and glue and get it set like I wanted, or you could use a deck screw, you know, yeah. and that way you can adjust your height. I mean, there's companies now making solutions and shit, but I seriously could have one screw and all you do is. You move it, you fine-tune it, whatever, you get it so it's set flat. But this, you don't even have to mess with any of that stuff, and it doesn't knock a hole in your guitar. It's great. It's just absolutely solid. So this thing, it's just a little bit of a route right here on the top, and you can even see underneath it, there's a, an anchor in the back. Yep. And it's just a flat plate, Sorry. and it, it just mounts right there, and the sustain is incredible. I, I was going to like, say, because that's what I do. And you, and you have the metal of the nut. Okay, yeah. so I, I love having the lockdown nut. Even if I'm not locked down, I still like to have that metal nut. It's just yeah. something I always had, and it's a, it's a sound I'm used to. Yeah. You know, like, every little bit does affect the sound, and I, I love that. So what you do, or what I do, is I beat the shit out of my strings, stretch them, just stretch the shit out of them. Yeah. I mean, and then you lock them down, and then you got your fine tuners. And I hardly ever even have to retune anything. These necks are stable yeah. as hell. There's two graphite rods running the length of yeah. the neck, 
you know, in addition to the double expanding truss rod, Sammy Jackson has one of the best truss rods in the game anyway, and then to reinforce it with, with graphite rods, I mean, it's just stiff as shit. Eastern Hard Rock Maple is also what they use in pool cues. It's as yeah. stiff as you can get, yeah. really. And so, I mean, the sustain's incredible. Ebony, obviously very hard, yeah. leads to that rigidity. So I have a fairly thin neck profile that I use on all my guitars. Yeah, it's not Ibanez wizard thin, though, is no, it? No, like... but it's, it's uh, and this is actually, I mean, they're all hand done mm. on the neck finishing and stuff. So uh, this one's actually slightly chubbier than, like, the black one's probably, my so A guitar is probably thinner. Let's, let's compare that to the, uh, the either the green one or the black one. If you grab that black one, that's this one. this one should have, yeah, that's going to be one of my older ones. It's one of the first ones I had done. So that's going to have a different bridge. You can see how our original solution was to this. Right. So this has, this has a Floyd. This is a modified Floyd, that, isn't yep, it? Yep, exactly. Yeah. And here's what we did. Right. We took, they did a very small route, and <laughs> we, we tapped... <laughs> Tapped the sustain block and put in heavy bolts so you could adjust adjust the pitch. Yeah. And then once you get the, the plate, the level, exactly the level you want, then you go in with a wrench and you finally tighten it and it spreads. You don't want to do it too much or you could actually split yeah. the wood. Yeah. But it spreads out into there and then that way you you have a, all of your energy is going right through it because you can get that in there really tight. And these have massive sustain too. My flat plate, new, the final version of my bridge, actually has more sustain than this even does. So is there any sense of a trem block on the other one going into the guitar, or is it just surface mounted? Absolutely surface route. So right. The surface route's like that deep for the whole bridge, and then the rest of it's just, yeah. I, I mean, it's like it's like a quarter of an inch route down in right. the body. Yeah. So you're not really hardly losing any wood where this still knocks a hole. But you can see what our first solution was, and uh, Jackson came up with that, and it was a great idea because yeah. it's much more sturdy than a single screw, just sort of, yeah. you know. I'm interested. What I love, I've, I saw some GNL bridges once where the idea was, although it was a top mount um, solution, mm -hmm. there was still kind of like a trend block, but that was route that was exactly routed into the wood. So, so the idea was all the transference of energy from the strings into the string block were being sort of pushed into the body of the guitar. It's almost kind of like this, but where the cavity would be exactly the right size for the trend block. I mean, same kind of thing um, as I had a couple guitars when I was a kid, I don't know, in my teens, I had one that had a Kaler on it. Yeah. And that was I mean, a big, heavy chunk of metal. I mean, there was a route, but it didn't go through the body. And, and then all the bolts, you know, screws yeah. bolting it down in the body, like those had pretty good sustain too. Yeah. The problem is just when you have just these two knife edge points on a regular yeah. Floyd is yeah. the only thing going through there. And then we have all that extra wood knocked out. I mean, normally you Much it's bigger, wider and then it, yeah. it runs yeah. all the way through here and you just lose all of this, you know, mahogany and maple. And it's like every little bit. That's why fat necks, I don't like fat necks, but they sound great in a studio. Yeah. They sound really big and fat and full. Yeah. But I like the playability, but that's that's one reason why I play a, a thinner neck than what yeah. is currently trendy by yeah. a bunch probably. But there's so much in reinforcement that there's, I mean, you can push and pull on the thing and it's not, it's just stable as shit. So, and when I'm slamming on stage, like, you know, I'm not a small guy, so I tend to like when I'm like I push and pull with it, yeah. and it's just there's like no flex. I'm not pushing stuff flat, and I'm not pulling stuff sharp. It's uh, and the sustain is incredible. Like you can hit a note, like in the studio when you know you got your you're sitting in the control room, so you don't have much volume. The cabinet's not allowing it to yeah. sustain. You just hit, boom, hit that thing and let it go. Like these things, even this with this type of system uh, to fix the bridge, really increases the duration oh, of that. Sure. And then my flat plate, my my new final yeah. version of my bridge it's even longer it's just crazy and that's what one of the guys one of the guys at uh, jackson 
who works in the factory was saying, he's like, I've never, ever heard a soloist sustain that long. I'm like, fuck yes. That means we did what we were out to achieve, you know? <laughs> That's wicked, So, man. yeah, so we, we nailed that. That bridge is... Brilliant. Yeah. This is so cool to see all this stuff. And those are all made by Mike Shannon, who made Randy Rhodes' Concord V. Yes. You know, yeah. and that's another thing. I couldn't be fucking prouder to play those. Uh, you know, he's Mike Shannon, such a cool, such dude a great as well. dude, and yeah. fucking such a history. You know, like the ultimate metal guitar builder, really. isn't he? Yeah, yeah no, yeah, it's yeah, living fucking legend. <laughs> it has been such a pleasure you taking the time to, to to meet us and and be on camera. I've really, really enjoyed it. I'm really looking forward to going and seeing some of the guitars as well behind the stage. But uh, thanks, man. Yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure, and, and honestly. The, our door is always open if you're passing through Guildford and you want a cup of tea and talk some more shit about guitars it is always open for you man I might have to take a flight over here <laughs> it'd be great if you did it'd cost me a shit ton of money too I know well maybe we can help cover that anyway catch you later guys thanks ever so much for watching cheers mate it's been a legend that was great I so super enjoyed that that was awesome no seriously though fucking you gotta take it for a test drive sometime. Thanks for listening to our latest podcast. If you enjoyed it, hit that subscribe button. See you next time.